back to The Last Dance with Ricky Tiefenbach. You can call me Wheels. We are here, Ricky. Episode 10 of The Last Dance. It has been quite a journey. And I will personally say to you, I'm a little bit sad it's done. I'm very sad it's done. I don't know what I'm going to do now on our Tuesday, Thursday nights together. We're going to have to just call each other and and discuss sports that aren't happening Random trivia, maybe sports that aren't happening. Nineties punk rock. There you go. The the, the options are endless. My. But before my, we get into this one, go ahead. I was gonna say my 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 Tom Petty bracket on my Instagram ended today as well. So it's just a, it's just oh, a day of ending for me. Yeah, you're deep dark, man. You're gonna need some therapy after this. I know. Before we get into this one, obviously this is around the '98 final finals against the Jazz. There was some breaking news. This came out after all of this had wrapped up. Of course, we're a bit too late because, one, I got tested for COVID. And as of this recording, I don't know if I have it. I still might have it. I should, I should find out tomorrow. And, of course, I think I was having an anxiety attack, so we're, we're a bit behind. But The Last Dance has been out now for about the last episode for about uh, two weeks, week and a half. Yep. You'll recall back in the Dream Team episode, Jordan was adamant that he did not ask for Isaiah Thomas to be removed or not added to the team, correct? Uh, I believe those were pretty much his exact words there, Greg. Deny, deny, deny is what he said. I never asked, right? Because, of course, Michael Jordan would never lie to me. Well, as it turns out, Ricky, TMZ got a hold of audio where Jordan said exactly that. He said, I don't, he was telling the story. To someone else, I don't want to be on. I don't want to be on this team, or I will not be on this team if Isaiah Thomas is on the team. And apparently, the person he was talking to from the USA Olympic team agreed and said that they didn't want him on the team either because there were some other people that had issues with him as well. Hearing this, does this destroy the credibility of what you're watching in any way? Knowing that Jordan outright lied, or if he pulls a Roger Clemens, misremembered. <laughs> Yeah, I love the Roger Clemens. You're misremembering. Uh, I think. I mean, I think we've we've talked about through throughout this that we're kind of taking some of these stories with a grain of salt. Um, so, I, I mean, you could kind of see it in his. There's a twinkle in his eyes when you're saying like, "Hey, I never said I didn't want him on the team or that I wouldn't play if he was on the team." I just kind of was said, you know, I asked who was going to be on the team. So I think. I mean. I think we everyone kind of read between the lines there that Jordan didn't want Isaiah on the team. And if Isaiah was on the team, then Jordan wasn't going to play. But then there's also, you know, the other players that weren't going to play. So it was probably a matter of the USA was pretty, pretty aware that the best players didn't want to play with Isaiah Thomas, no matter how good a player he was. And I mean, they only did win the final by 35 points, so they didn't really need him. That's what I said. I said, maybe he lied. Maybe he tried to cover up for himself. I mean, you're going to get some of that when you have a guy who it focuses around, Michael Jordan, who has complete autonomy with how this looks. And I would say, Ricky, he's not coming out of these 10 episodes unscathed, right? On the other side of these 10 episodes of this The Last Dance series, I don't look at Michael Jordan and say, wow, this guy had no flaws. Absolutely. Right? No, you're right, Greg. And I think... But as I said last time, I think he brought up, he did bring up a lot of the, you know, the scars of his past that basketball fans already knew. There's the gambling, there's, you know, drinking too much and and smoking cigars or whatever you want to say. And, you know, there's him being, you know, I would, I would say it politely, a difficult teammate and that he was pretty hard on, on people and maybe didn't make. Steve Kirk called him a bully in this episode. Didn't make a lot of friends. But I think that's not really new information to a lot of us, but to people who, like yourself, who are just kind of getting into it and looking back that maybe it does seem a little bit shocking, some of, this, some of the, you know, the stories that are coming up about, about Jordan. But it would have been nice to get a little more. I know a lot of people said they would have liked to have had a little more dirt or a little more kind of no-holds-bar on some of his stuff. And they, they've talked about, you know, you don't hear about, the you know the divorce with his wife or or things like that but but you see his kids in this episode you do get finally. to see his kids in this episode um but i mean again it's it's folk it's more focusing around the 98 bulls so it's not necessarily a full documentary on this is michael jordan 
Well, I will agree with you on that. Let's dive into this episode because there are, there's a ton to cover. And it's all brand new to me. Of course, you've lived it out live. And this is just how many? Have you watched this episode twice now? I've watched it twice. Yes. Yeah, I've watched, I've so, watched episode nine four times. You love it that oh, much, man. eh, Reggie Miller? I love it. Okay, so this episode starts with the Bulls having beaten the Pacers. And I laughed at the very first line in this episode. Working on just two days rest. They're talking about the Bulls coming into game one against the Jazz. You guys, that's a lot of time. Two days of rest is a lot of time in the playoffs. I mean, you're flying. You're flying from Chicago all the way to Utah, which isn't, oh, you know, the worst flight in the world. But it does sound like you know they they would have won Game Seven against the Pacers, and they're hopping on their flight, you know, midnight, like mid mid time in the night, you know, three in the morning or something like that to fly to Utah. But it's not like you're going to get in trouble, and then the the nightlife of the uh, of Salt Lake City. So. I'm sure they got some good some good rest before game one. Do not complain to me about two days rest, okay? No rest? Okay, that's fine. But if you're a professional athlete, I understand it's the finals and it's a lot of work. Two days rest, that is a that is a, an epoch of time for rest, Ricky. But right into this episode, we have the Michael Jordan CD dance, which has become a meme all over the internet. And if you don't know what I'm talking about, just Google Michael Jordan CD dance. What I didn't know was what he was listening to. And he tells us in this episode, he's listening to Kenny Lattimore. Are you a Kenny Lattimore fan? I have no idea who that is. Neither do I. So I Googled it. The song he was listening to, as confirmed on Twitter in 98, was Kenny Lattimore Days Like This. So if you want to trip down memory lane, cue up that song when you see Michael Jordan dancing. Because the meme that I saw him dancing to was, making my way downtown. Yeah. Dun, dun, dun. And I laughed so hard because it, I don't know, it just it really struck me as funny. That's close to the right time for that song, too. I, I howled because that song just gets stuck in my head <laughs> all the time. Uh, and so we see in this episode, again, Michael Jordan walking off the bus, walking into the arenas, getting hounded by the media. And he's relaxed in this case, saying, yes, no, maybe, like, leave me alone. But I just, again, we've talked about it before. The idea of Michael Jordan never getting a break exhausts me. Oh, man. It exhausts me. I just want to go take 10 minutes to myself, but he can't. And these these reporters are relentless. And, yeah, they're having fun with him. They're not, they're not trying to sewer him in any way, but I feel bad for the guy. Yeah, and you, and you see, like, when they're on the bus or they're on the plane and they're just relaxing, playing their cards, you can just see how, like, more relaxed and, and casual they are and just it's what a relief that must be. But, it's, like, as soon as that bus pulls up to the hotel or the plane lands, you step out and it's just that that wall of sound like we talked about coming down to the elevator. And it's just reporters and fans and people just screaming at you trying to get your attention. And that's got to, you know, be fun for a little while and then get boring and then just be absolutely draining to have to deal with that. And, and then just the anxiety you must feel as you're like, okay, we're almost at the hotel. I got to get through this crowd of people or the plane's about to land. We're going to have to do a press conference or even, you know, even think about Jordan played basically a hundred plus games for seven straight seasons. Going back to the game seven loss to the Detroit Pistons. And you're, he's doing interview after interview after each game and probably before. And what if he's an introvert, right? What if he actually needs quiet time to recover? We don't know, this, yeah. but nothing from this episode or this, this series Leads me to believe that Michael Jordan loves being around people. Yeah, he just so. he seems like he's happy with the attention a lot of time, but uh, like you said, it's got a it's got a wear on you. So we have the same observation. So early on into this episode, you see the the Bulls warming up, getting ready to go, and they're taking what looks to be semi half court shots. We call those we call those a and timeline shot. Timeline yeah. shot. Is, is there a reason there's why? The, the, if you look back, there's just a little uh, kind of dash on the court, and that's what's called the timeline. So that's theoretically where, you know, where the uh, the coach is supposed to be able to walk to. They always leave that. But, and then that's oh, when you, and when you call a timeout, uh, if you advance the ball, that's where you get the ball. So it's kind of, a, it's kind of like a, a much wider three-point line. It's, it's, it's still a far shot. Like it would be 40 feet, 45 feet. 
But in this episode, it looks like these guys are attempting the shot of all shots, the circus shot to end all circus shots. They're taking chances or taking turns shooting the shot. And most of the miss, Kerr hits it and, and Jordan yep. hits it. But this is routine now in the Boy. NBA. Like you see guys every single game, not even the best guys, making half-court shots, trick shots from all over. Well, and, and, and you see the people that are extending the three-point line, guys like Steph Curry, Clay Thompson, and then the, the one that comes to mind for me is, is Damian Lillard. Uh, from from the Portland Trailblazers, who will routinely pull up from outside of 30 feet, and he hit a you know a, a playoff series winning shot last year over the uh, over the Oklahoma City Thunder from about 36 feet. They just pulled up, and it seemed like it was a ridiculous shot. I remember but, that shot, unbelievable. But you look at him, and you look at 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 Steph and Clay and guys shooting. Even LeBron has started shooting really far three-pointers, but they're shooting them like a jump shot. They're not doing what these guys in this episode are, or, you know, absolute heaves, almost throwing the ball to the basket. Uh, players have kind of taught their bo- taught their bodies to shoot normal shots just from further away. And, you know, you know, it's what's, you know, is it better to shoot an open 35-footer or a contested 20-footer? So it's, we're starting to see kind of the evolution of, of how far away guys are willing to shoot the ball. Love to see it. Love to see it. So something threw me off in this episode, and we've alluded to it once already. Out of nowhere, well, Michael Jordan's sons are giving interviews in this thing. Where have they been for the past nine episodes? And his daughter shows up directly after. Yeah, and it's not like they were – I thought maybe, you know, they didn't want to be interviewed for this series, and maybe they'd show up in, in some interviews they maybe gave – at the time, but no, these are present day interviews with his two sons and his daughter. And they, there's no way they brought him in, got them all mic'd up and said, all right, we're going to ask you two questions. Then you're out of here. There must be an hour of footage with, with both, you know, both sets of these people. And none of that got used except, Oh, those Utah fans were crazy. (laughs) Right. That's the only clip out of all of that. I laugh because Jasmine, his daughter, shows up right after his sons. And there was a story that came out that Jasmine had no idea of Michael Jordan's legacy growing up. He was just dad to her. And her friends were like, your dad's Michael Jordan. She had to go on the internet and find out just who her dad was. So I'm sure her and her brothers are finding out a lot about who her dad was based on this story. So kind of cool for them, I guess. Yeah, you got to imagine it'd be neat to find out. I mean, at some point, you're probably, you know, 15, 16, you're like, okay, wait a minute. My dad is the most famous athlete in the world right now. <laughs> maybe maybe it is kind of a big deal that he, he is who he is, and he's not just the guy who read me bedtime stories. Yeah, Dad, why are you a billionaire? <laughs> so the 98 finals are the... Chicago Bulls against the Utah Jazz, a repeat of the 97 finals. And this is perfect because the storyline is this. The Bulls walk into the finals having never beaten this version of the Utah Jazz yet all season. The, the Jazz, they beat every single team except for the Jazz. And everyone starts talking and saying, this Jazz team is substantially better than the previous Jazz team. Of course, Carl Malone, I believe, was the league MVP last year. So this is a substantial billing going into a chance for the Chicago Bulls to have their second three. Right. And you're coming off the Bulls through the, you know, we've gone through that hard fought seven game series with the Pacers where Utah, I believe they swept the Lakers to get to the final here, but they swept whoever they played anyways. So they've been rested. They're fully rested, ready to go in for this rematch of the Bulls. They have home court advantage and they're thinking, well, maybe this is the year someone can knock off Jordan and the Bulls. And why wouldn't you, right? So, I mean, of course, this is going to get into a pet peeve of this show. And I'm not blaming the producers, the directors, the editors for this, but we've complained about this already, but they fly through these games. Like there's ends up being, spoiler alert, six games in this series. And I think there's 50 seconds or 50 seconds in, in, in the first couple of games. The thing I love about this is they've got, you've, you've labeled here, Michael Buffer. Ladies and gentlemen, let's get ready to rumble. I heard he gets paid like half a million dollars every That's time amazing. That. And what's more amazing is that he's brought his brother into the business who gets paid a bunch of money too. 
Hold on. Who's his, his brother's? Brother? Oh, why can't I think of his name right now? But he's a is UFC, he UFC guy. guy? Yeah. It's time. Yeah. Shut up. I had yeah. no idea. We talked about him today. They're I brothers. Think they're brothers. Uh, in my mind, they're brothers. Wow. That they is have the crazy. same name, I thought. Bruce, Bruce Buffer. Buffer? This is this is rocking my world right now. How do you just get born into that? The veteran voice of the octagon, Bruce Buffer. It's time. Yeah, according Crazy. anyway, according to Wikipedia, sibling Michael Buffer. This is insane to me. So they have a family of world class announcers. So yeah, he comes in and he's at the first game. I love the emotion of this game. So this is of course the first game, game one of of the finals. There's there's a quote near the end. You see Phil Jackson. The Bulls are down, and he says, "This is a scary situation, guys." Like, wait a minute, Phil, you're rattled here at the at the very end of the game. Like, we That's need it, you, right? man. So, Phil, he's won five championships at game one of his six NBA Finals. Mister Zen, Mister Buddhism, Mister Live in the Moment. All of a sudden, he's dropping f bombs and saying, "This is a serious situation." Like, you know, but I think that shows what kind of coach he is—is is that he knows when to push buttons and he has the ability to push different buttons he he can calm people down and he can try and rile these guys up all right like wake up we're in this game it's game one there's less than a minute left wake up win this game but the jazz and their home court advantage pull off the game one win which again even more reason for people to start talking about all right is, is this the end is someone finally going to beat jordan and the bulls it's the last dance. They've been talking about it all season. Is this the team that's finally going to knock them off? They even reference the last dance in the last dance, which is very meta for you, those of you paying attention. And so they lose the first game. Okay. And then give me 50 seconds, Ricky, because guess who wins the uh, second And they game? go back and forth and they go to the end the Bulls win. It kills me because I know there's a storyline there, but I understand that you can't just – bill up every single game because we don't have 16 hours per episode but it, it bugs me because i'm like oh yeah okay the the bulls won but at least they give me game three which do you remember game three because game three the jazz were held to an all-time nba low at the time lowest ever not playoffs not regular season ever in terms of when the shot clock happened because of course i think you alluded to this but before the nba had a shot clock Scores would be very, very low because people wouldn't be forced to shoot the ball. They brought it in to kind of well, yeah, increase you scoring. It, you think of it kind of they like were... soccer, right? You get up one nothing, and then you play the the ball control game, and you're just you know kicking the ball back and forth, trying to kill time. It's brutal. Same thing in the NBA. Like you used to score. There's. Did you know? I think it's Ohio. The Ohio high school basketball still doesn't have shot clocks, and they still have they still have Bizarre. these low scoring games. Where you, What's the point? There's not points. That's the problem. You need. <laughs> no, that's funny. You're just crippling the kids right. going at, in high school. Like I, they're going to go to a real university and go, oh, wait, oh yeah, right. This is a I led my team game. scoring six points a game. We won every game, eighteen to ten. Like it's gross, it's gross. But yeah, so they score fifty-four points. I, I, I would, I would. Reckon a guess that the average NBA team in 2019, 2020, or 2018, 2019, when we had a full season, averaged somewhere around 50, over 54 points per half. And these guys, 54 points in a game is unfathomable that you could only score that many points. You have Carl Malone, who has multiple, you know, 40 point games in his life and his whole team scores 54. That's where you do start seeing some of these changes come into the league where they, they get rid of the hand checking and they try and open the game up a little bit more um, because this was as much as it was, you know, the golden era of Michael Jordan, Jordan and the bulls. It was a little bit of a dark time for the NBA where, I mean, how fun can it be to watch a team only score 50, four points and the and the bulls only scored 89 like it's not like like we'll have teams score 130 140 on a regular basis now to only score 89 points is just 
Like, if you score 89 points, you're going to lose 9 out of 10 games in today's NBA. It's pathetic. Pathetic. And the Jazz should look themselves in the mirror and go, what just happened? And you know, you know that if a team gets humiliated like that, they're going to come out and, and put on a show. And, uh, well, of course, they did Eventually. Eventually. So the greatest, the greatest coach in the NBA never to win, I'm told, is Jerry Sloan, who recently passed away. Ricky, do you concur with that? I don't know. That would be that would be cool. So the jazz yeah, coach, the jazz coach, Jerry Sloan. To. So he, I mean, he had a couple good years, obviously, with the Jazz back to back finals. Uh, I look at a guy like George Carl. He coached the Sonics and lost to the Bulls. Uh, he coached. Sacramento, when they had some really good teams that lost to Phil Jackson's Lakers. Um, and then he also coached in Denver and had some pretty good teams with uh, with Carmelo Anthony. So he might be up there. Uh, Mike D'Antoni would probably be my actual pick. A uh, guy who brought in some of these, some of the more scoring into the NBA. He, you know, seven seconds or less with the Phoenix Suns. He had some really good years there. He actually had some underrated years with the New York Knicks. And and now he's the current head coach of the uh, the Houston Rockets. So those would be those would be the names that come to mind as far as best coaches to never win. Um, I would sh- I would I would say that none of those coaches have ever had a team score fifty four points in a game. <laughs> yeah, this is true, and this needs to be on and the record that, for Jerry. Just, like it's a it's kind of a mark. You know, John Stockton and Carl Malone named top 50 players of all time in the NBA yet you were on the same team and you could only muster 54 points is a little bit of a stain on the old reputation. But in their defense, it is an anomaly. that wasn't the norm. It just happened to happen. But this storyline blew my mind. So the Bulls win game three and everyone's flying high. They humiliate the jazz. Everything's everything's different now. So the series is done. In some people's minds, anyway. Dennis Rodman wins this game and then where, leaves. Where does he, he go, Greg? practice to one of the, how do I put this lightly, one of the greatest eras of wrestling history ever. Ever. He goes to the NWO version of the WCW and hangs out with Hulk Hogan. Hollywood, and Eric Bischoff. Hulk Hogan and, oh, my my excuse me. My 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 apologies. Ricky, this is this is b- the bizarre on, on this any is level. Like total bizarre world. So this is nineteen ninety-eight. This is basically like the peak of the Monday Night Wars. So you've had uh I just saw it was twenty-five years since uh Scott Hall, aka Razor Ramon, and uh and Big Daddy, Big Sexy Daddy Diesel left. WWF and went to WCW. Those are like the two big names to leave first. And then you have other names like Bret Hart and um, Hulk Hogan, obviously Ric Flair of all, all move over to WCW. But in the middle of this, you have Rodman. And what they don't even mention in this is not only did Rodman show up there uh, during the playoffs, which is unbelievable. A few months later, him and Carl Malone have a match, have a real wrestling match. No way. Real, of course, in air quotes, because wrestling isn't, it's fake, but it's real. Uh, but yeah, so they have a match. So, I mean, I don't know how much maybe they had talked about before that, but uh, this certainly like sowed the seeds for, for that with Rodman leaving in the middle, the middle of the NBA playoffs <laughs> to... Playoff, Rick. Ricky, the finals. They're in the NBA finals, and you've got your most important defensive player going, see ya, I'm skipping practice, not telling the coach what's going on. I'm going to wrestle Hollywood Hulk Hogan on Monday Night Nitro. Like, it's, it doesn't make any sense in any world. Like, this would never happen, and yet, you're not surprised because it's Dennis Rodman. And just the way he talks. You go, yeah, okay. He needed to get his steam, like shed some steam, and then of course he comes back. Yeah, and so he's look at so he had he had fourteen rebounds, two assists, six steals that game. So I mean, he had a good game, but he wasn't. Again, we we we've talked about they 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 but won. They so won. Bulls win game five. 
He goes to WCW, doesn't tell anyone, comes back, and they still beat the Jazz to go three. So it just so I mean a couple years later, we're we're close to uh, the the infamous Allen Iverson talking about practice uh, and how you know if you make it to the NBA, you don't really need practice, and and you know. Maybe Rodman was better off getting a little more rest, blowing off some steam, but uh, you're not going to uh, you're not going to have a lot of coaches agreeing with that, and you're not going to have a lot of coaches giving you the uh, the rope to uh, to to go ahead and do that like Phil Jackson has with Rodman. A lot, Ricky. <laughs> There's no one else. There's no other coach that I can think of, even high school coaches that would let someone leave in the middle of a seven-game series for all the marbles for a three-peat when it's the last dance. Makes no sense. But at least a couple facts for you because you tune into this, sh- this show, this podcast, for a reason. So Rodzilla <laughs> was what they referred to him as. Do you know how much he was fined by the NBA? For I would, the media so fined by the NBA, I would guess uh, twenty-five grand. Pretty close. $20,000 for missing a media session. Do you know what he was paid for the appearance on WCW? Right, so w- of course, this is so reported, but... This is part of a little background. WCW had a bunch of money, Ted Turner money behind them, which was their downfall. They signed a bunch of wrestlers for crazy amounts of money and then ended up, oh, wait, we can't pay all these salaries. They folded and, and WWF bought them. But I'm going to say he was paid... US. Oh, man. That's. See? How can you not blame that guy? That's decent money. The guy got fined $20,000. So he's up $230,000 for this stunt. He helps his PR, has a good time, comes back, still plays the game. Team respects him, gets his 14 rebounds. He's up 3-1. He's up 3-1. But of all the things we've seen with Rodman, I think the most impressive feat that we get to see of him is him sprinting up those stairs. That, so they're oh, trying, man. is it before game five or after game five? I can't, I couldn't quite tell, but the media wants to talk to Rodman, obviously, because he's skipped practice gone to WCW and this, the, uh, you know, security guys are, is before game, before they're, game they're trying five. to sneak they're him out of the five, building sorry. and they put him out. It's like the side door and he goes sprinting up these stairs, seemingly four at a time. And you have these old guys chasing him, holding the, you know, the 60 pound camera. <laughs> The 80-pound TV <laughs> camera, exactly. And by the time, so we get the camera angle of a guy who's kind of up the first flight of stairs, and Rodman goes bouncing past him, and then he goes up the second flight of stairs, out the door, and Rodman is already gone the 40 yards from the door to his truck, and the truck is gone. I, I laughed because I just thought, I, I guess these reporters are contractually obligated to chase this guy down and try and get some sort of shot that they can show on the news. But they had no hope. Like, just zero hope in that moment of getting this shot of Dennis Rodman. I just, it was futile from the beginning, but props to the effort. I guess, they still but you just see, like, hope, that insane athleticism just bounding up those stairs like a gazelle. Boom, 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 out the door into his white trash truck. I don't know what that thing was, but yeah. Peeling out of the parking lot. Before we get into game five and game six, I want to pause one moment for our sponsors. Just kidding. I mean, it's time for fashion faux pas. The last episode had a bunch, Ricky. You had one, so I'll, I'll give a couple of mine. This is the part of the podcast where Rick and I make observations of this case, 90s fashion faux pas from two guys who would never say that word out loud and in public because we're not known for our fashion. Oh, maybe, maybe I'm a little bit, but my wife, <laughs> she takes all the credit for that. Anyway, nine minutes and 42 seconds into this, Jerry Sloan's tie looks like it's straight out of, right. I said the original computer version of Doom. Like it looks like 
Wolfenstein 3D graphics on a tie. And I'm telling you, it's that gotta go. it's and, just got to go. Especially a guy in Utah. I don't think anyone is playing Doom. That's true. Or Wolfenstein for that matter. You're right. Uh, Jordan's suit at 950. We've been all over Jordan and his terribly cut suits. But this one, I had to say it, reminded Would- me of Jim Carrey in the mask. I'm like, if, if you paint Jordan's face green like the mask and put the hat Would on you him, say he's, he's in the movie. Smoking. Oh, my goodness. What are you into tonight? <laughs> oh, man. Okay. The media guys tie 1308 in this is ugly. I cannot remember it in this just moment. What a but terrible, just look it up. It's terrible worth it. era for ties. Yeah. Like, yep. just stick to one color. It's fine. Like, you guys will figure it out. There's a reporter. This is 30, 34 minutes into it, if you want to go find it. There's a reporter on Rodman's right that looks like he's wearing a shirt that Newman from Seinfeld would oh, wear, but this, it's like an abstract animal skin. It, it has no business terrible, being created. But it does match no. his terrible haircut and just overall appearance. And it's, so. But he's got a beautiful smile, so we'll give him that. And then, Ricky, you, right, you so found one at the end that you were in there In their... Uh, their championship rally here and i was kind of laughing at it to myself it wasn't i was kind of debating if i should put it into the the fashion faux pas and my daughter walks into the room and goes what is with their sunglasses and they do kind of have i almost wanted to call them like they're almost like they look like steampunk glasses like just those super narrow rims and big i don't know i think they're oakley's but they just looked terrible and they don't really fit their faces either. Like bizarre. I don't know. Just as good as Jordan's uh, famous sunglasses he wore with that uh, the gambling interview with Ahmad Rashad. Yes, please. Well, and because your daughter pointed it out, we're putting it in the podcast because uh, I mean, she obviously knows what she's talking about. I saw them, thought about it. I'm like, Michael Phelps yeah. would wear these in the pool for sure, and then they zoomed in and right. they were like bedazzled a little bit. And I thought, okay, Jordan's wearing these. That's He's paid $200,000 for these glasses because, of course, yeah. those are real diamonds then, or rubies or whatever. And then, like, Pippins look kind of like out, they were Jordan. almost like a copper color. Like, it just – no, not good. not good. Not a good look. Let's get into game five. You you call it the closer? Yeah, so you think, you know, that he's going to come in and, and not – and this is their chance to win at home. What a perfect ending for Jordan to – Two three because two the series the NBA, go two yeah. three so two correct. Game five, right. they've won the first two back in Chicago, looking for you know four straight wins, knock off the Jazz, second straight year, and they come up short, thanks in part to uh, the mailman or or the postman, as as some people will <laughs> have called him. <laughs> <laughs> Don't tell anyone that I do a sports show. Yeah, so he had thirty nine points. Jordan has an off game. I think he had 28. Uh, Tony Kukoc, Jerry Krause's boy, comes up with a big 30 points. And maybe this is a prelude to what we'll get into game six with with Scottie Pippen and and some of his injury problems. Six points. And that's your game right there. That's your game right there. What does he average in the series? You would think he's he's having high teens for sure. I mean, remember, these teams are only scoring 80 80 points mostly in these games. So it is much lower than today, but you could, I couldn't imagine, you know, a, a star player, this would be like, you know, Kevin Durant having 30 points and Steph Curry having six or, um, you know, LeBron having a bunch of points and, and, you know, Kyrie only having six points when they were back in Cleveland. So. Cause if you said Kevin hey, Love, Kevin I'd say Love. that happened all the time. In the he playoffs. had a couple of threes a game. He was pretty good. Just, no, <laughs> he wasn't. He wasn't. Oh, so I, th- this game ends, of course, the mailman comes back, almost hit postman, comes back. It's a 3-2 series, anyone's game, because they're going back to this insane asylum called Utah. I look at the clock on the Netflix episode. There are 30 minutes left in this episode. They're going into game six. I'm like, I, at this point, I know. I know, Ricky, with how fast these guys chew through games. We're getting to Game 7. This series is going to climax in Game 7. Can you believe it? So they get into Game 6, and this is what I wanted the whole time. Back and forth drama. Goal, or goal. Scores here, basket here, 
steal here, rebound here. Create some tension for me, and I finally get it. Oh, man, what a game this was. And and it starts out almost first play of the game or first basket of the game for Pippen. He's been having back problems, and he lands funny and jars his back, and he goes down. And, you know, they've already kind of talked about how this supporting cast of the Bulls isn't what it has been in previous years. And now here's Scottie Pippen going down in – you know, a very important game, obviously game six of the finals, you lose this game and now you're one game left to play for the whole thing still in Utah. Uh, and Jordan's saying, okay, well, Pippen's down. This is all going to be on me. And he realizes, all right, he's going to have to basically shoot the ball every single time. What does it say to you about Michael Jordan to to see him handle a game like that. He goes, Scottie Pippen's down. Okay, I need to change the way I play. I need to carry this team on my back, make every shot that I can, conserve my energy. I'm tired. He's hurt. I don't know what I'm going to get from him. Like, I feel like that deserves a ton more credit than it's getting because you're watching a guy who knows how to win one way. Yeah, and, and this was I'm trying to find it right now, but it was there's something about this was the only playoff game in Jordan's career that he took over half the shots in the game and had over half the points of the team. There's something like something crazy like that that you you figure Michael Jordan all the all the uh excuse me, all the playoff games he's played in, um, that this would have happened more often. But So his stats for the game, he takes 35 shots, which is less less than he took in that uh, triple overtime game against the Phoenix Suns in 93. But still, 35 shots. He only makes 15 of those 35. He goes to the line, shoots 15 free throws, free throws makes 12 of those. But he ends up with 45 points which is, yeah, over half of the Bulls, 87 total. But you just see him willing willing the Bulls to stay into this game. But the Jazz don't go away quietly, and they're actually up um, three points with just under, just over 30 seconds to go in the game. And this is just the time to shine for Michael Jordan. And we've talked about it in a previous episode where, you know, he kind of took over a game like this before. But uh, Bulls come out of a timeout. Jordan gets the ball and drives to the basket, gets a quick basket. So they're only only down one. Uh, but Jazz have the ball. And he talks about, they, they cut to an interview here where Jordan's talking about, all right, they've ran this play a bunch of times. I've always kind of done the same thing defensively. So as soon as it happens, instead of falling back to the weak side, he comes up behind Carl Malone, steals the ball from him, and now the Bulls have the ball down one as the clock's ticking. Jordan looks over to Phil Jackson. Phil doesn't want to call a timeout. Jordan knows, all right, I have the ball. I don't need to pass it. And this is one of my favorite parts of the episode, the interview uh, with Scottie Pippen. And he says, I'm just going to get just get the F out of the way. <laughs> it's not, don't want to be anywhere near Jordan. Uh, don't want to clog anything. And same thing with uh, Dennis Rodman saying, all right, I just want to, get out of the way, maybe get in the, get in position for a rebound. Yeah. So funny that and, they both and, said the And Rodman's thing. like, he's not passing it to Paxson. He's not passing it to Steve Kerr. He's swearing a lot and saying, all right, this guy's, this guy's going to shoot the ball. And, and then you end <laughs> up having one of the most infamous shots in, in well, infamous moments in all of sports history. Uh, you have Jordan driving right and cuts back to the left and, and hits a jumper over, the aforementioned Byron Russell, the guy who was give Jordan crap about retiring because he thought he could guard him. Yeah. I took that personal. What do you think about this? I'm going to call it. I don't even know what to call it. What do you think about this idea that Jordan pushed off in this shot? Do you buy that? You can see the angle a couple different ways. I look at it and go, no way. That guy's already moving that way. There's no push-off there. And if there is a push-off, right. it's I think, a normal, I think the fact that Brian Russell's play. already falling, kind of falling down that way and, and is trying to stop himself uh, makes him kind of fall down and makes it look worse. But Jordan, 
do you know how much do you know how hard it would be to be driving to your right and to push a 220 pound man over with your other hand as you're trying to go the other way it's not happening it doesn't cause them to fall it's a perfect move it's not you're never going to call that as as a as a referee of of 20 plus years you're not calling that a foul especially in the moment you're letting them play on but jordan just sits there and not only does he make the shot but he holds his hand in the perfect shooting motion and just admires the ball going through the basket and uh, what a way to end it there's a little bit of time left but uh the Jazz are unable to make the shot, and the Bulls go on to win their sixth championship and do have the, the perfect ending to the last dance. I do want to say for, for our listeners, I hold my shot like that after every basketball shot I take. You don't have to, you don't have to go running after the ball after? I do. No, most of them miss, but I still do it just for the odd occasion that it goes in. Yeah, so Jordan gets his shots. Stockton misses his three. The Bulls win in Utah. couple things here. Do you buy this narrative that Scottie Pippen is this tough baller who played through pain in this game and deserves all the credit that he may be given so. I mean, because of his performance? Because I mean, a trainer was saying this about him. Yeah, so a trainer that was with him working on right it. Away, goes back in. He goes back into that training room you know, multiple times throughout the game to get a little bit of treatment, to try and get a little more, a little more movement out of his, out of his back so he can play a little bit longer. It kind of goes back to the, the Jordan uh, Pizzagate game and game in, in 97, where he talks about, all right, I'm just going to try and play. And if I can't do anything, at least I can, you know, be a decoy, which is, uh, is a term that we get, we use in basketball quite a bit where, you know, even though Scottie Pippen, so he ends up with eight points. He plays 25 minutes instead of his. So he's playing about 17 to 20 minutes less than he's usually playing. And you think, but he's out there and he's as much as the other team might know that he's not at a hundred percent. You still have to respect a guy like Scottie Pippen. You still have to guard him. And as much, he only had eight points, but his, his plus minus. So when he's on the floor, the bulls, had 16 more points than, than the jazz did. So that was, he actually led the team in, in plus minus that game. So as much as he might not have been able to score, That's I think insane. he was probably focusing his, his attention on, uh, on playing defense and whatnot. So. And they brought that up where having Pippen on the floor actually made a difference because they had to pay attention to him and in that. Some of those shots you see him makes a basket. So second thing, Carl Malone never won an NBA championship. How heartbreaking it is it for the postman? I did that on purpose. To have to face Jordan in what he calls his prime, which we, we know it's not, in back to back NBA I mean, it's got to be hard. I mean, he had, they had a tough road coming out of the West. And, and uh, John Stockton talks about that in episode nine. You have, uh, you have the the Houston Rockets that won the two championships when Jordan uh, wasn't playing. You have the end of the Lakers dynasty. You have the great uh, Portland Trailblazers team who made a couple finals. You have Charles Barkley and the Phoenix Suns, uh, and then you have the upstart. You even have the upstart uh, Lakers, the the Shaquille O'Neal Lakers coming out in the uh, in towards the late '90s. So they actually. I mean, Malone ended up playing on the Lakers in 2004, I believe, and uh, made it to the finals again before losing to the Pistons. Um, but they, uh, I believe that's what happened. Oh. But uh, yeah, he kind of went ring chasing with, uh, with, with Gary Payton, the glove, and they ended up on the Lakers, but uh, were unable to win a championship. So it's tough. Uh, I believe Carl Malone is still the NBA's all-time leading scorer right now. Um, he played forever, and he had, you know, the greatest assist man of all time, John Stockton, uh, passing on the ball. So he had a, you know, a glorious career, including, a, a, you know, a match in WCW. So, I mean, he's a Hall of Famer no matter what, which way you look at it. <laughs> but, uh, Wait a minute, I've got, okay. I've got Premier so, Bill Jabbar. I think you're right, then. Carl, Carl might be second, player. then. 
but uh, they played forever. That's bizarre. He is second. Okay. He is second. Le- You're right. And LeBron's, LeBron's going to crazy. I had no both. idea. You know, as long as we have basketball again at some point. But he, they, what, LeBron's 36 he's 30, now? He's 35 this year. He should catch them both. You're right. He needs e- 4,500 points. Here's my thing about Carb Malone. Love him, hate him, whatever. I don't care. The fact that he walked onto that bus to congratulate all the Bulls after his heart being broken in front of North America and, and anyone else watching, to me, he is a top caliber guy in my books. And I hope my kids grow up with that kind of character because that, to me, Ricky, is what's missing in the world today is people having the ability to lose and respect people that beat them. Like it's just, it's missing. And I want yeah, it's, it. And I it's just, great I to see. And, so and I think we've talked about that. it before, how the NBA doesn't have a tradition of lining up and shaking hands at center ice, like, like hockey does after the playoffs. But you, you know, to see some of these behind the, behind the, uh, the scenes interactions of the players right before they're going into you know, the after game press conferences where they're congratulating each other and making sure they're okay and telling them to say hi to their wife and kids for them. And you can see that there is a lot of respect and camaraderie, even though they're not lining up to shake hands um, like other sports. So the Bulls win, they celebrate hard. And by hard, I mean that they, they went for it. They, they let all the emotions out. You see Dennis Rodman giving the DA Generation X suck it to the crowd. I was howling by myself watching this. Because, of course, Dennis Rodman is just this enigma character. People are losing their mind. The shot that stuck out to me was when they get back to the hotel, it's, it's bedlam. Like You can't move. There's so many people at this championship hotel trying to get their hands or a photo or an autograph on these guys. The I love, fire I love marshal needs to be called. Is this the right smoking here? floor? It is now. <laughs> so good. It is now. Just think, like all the that there's that many people there at their hotel, and they're in Salt Lake City. They're not even in Chicago. You have all these Bulls fans there, just trying to get a glimpse of uh, of these guys. Um, but it really struck me, like, so they go to the infamous Jordan Suite where he's playing the the playing the piano. He cannot play the piano. Got the piano. At all. But he's got his cigar going and he's drinking and everyone's having a grand old time. I couldn't see any players in there with him. Yeah, I didn't see any in there. I just saw a bunch of people that I didn't know. And my first thought was, there's someone in this room who shouldn't be there, (laughs) who's losing their mind that they're in this room. And that's the story they tell wherever they are, Indiana, at 65 years of age. That's the story they tell is that they were in that room. There's a story. One of the owners of Rocco Radio, where I work, he snuck his way onto the ice as a fake reporter when the Toronto Maple Leafs won their last cup in 67. And in the team shot of them around the cup, you can see this guy, Gore, I believe his name is, in the, in the, in the photo they're celebrating. And like this is the story that is amazing that he tells. But there's going to be that same story with some of these guys That's that Jordan amazing. Sweet playing, watching them try One of my good friends from high school uh, in the 2007 Grey Cup in Toronto when the, the Saskatchewan Rough Riders won. We're texting back and forth, and all of a sudden he sends me pictures. He's in the Riders' locker room drinking with Andy Fantus. <laughs> it's like, how did you get down? And he's like, I don't know. We just kept walking, and people kept letting us pass, and all of a sudden we were in the locker room. So... Uh, you never know. The the thing, of course, is always we have. Yeah, I have another know. friend who is who's infamous for always getting backstage at concerts because he just he says you just act like you're supposed to be there and nobody questions you, and uh, so he's got lots of backstage uh, pictures with different bands and whatnot. And he was he was never supposed to be there. One of my favorite moments in in this episode happens when the Bulls are back at their celebration in Chicago. And Phil Jackson speaking, and he gives a very backhanded compliment to Jerry Reinsdorf, saying, I want to give credit to Jerry Reinsdorf because he had a plan and he had the courage to change his plan. And I'm not going to judge whether or not Phil was sincere or not because I'll never know. 
I thought it was a backhanded compliment, and I loved every single minute of it because he deserved it, Ricky. He wanted yeah, to blow that we're, team we're up, like, and they just won the NBA. They were, they had trades in place for Scottie Pippen that year, and it didn't work out, right? And they tried to trade Pippen before to the the Sonics, and it didn't work out. So I think Phil knew exactly what he was saying. Um, Phil as is known to be a little bit of a little bit of a dick, so. Uh, you know, he was, he was, he knew exactly what he was doing and getting his, his shots in at Jerry there. Um, and it's funny to be able to do that. But again, Jerry has said, you go 82 and 0, we're not bringing you back. Well, they didn't go 82 and 0, but they still won a championship. Phil has no desire and no inclination that he's going to be brought back the next year. But, uh, so he's, he's, he's happy to make fun of his, uh, of his employer at this time. But then to conclude this episode, there's some bookkeeping and the owner of the bulls, Reinsdorf apparently called Phil Jackson and said, I want you to come back, which was hilarious to me, given what you just said, how Jerry Krause wants nothing to do with Phil Jackson. Phil Jackson's still throwing things in his face publicly. And Reinsdorf says, I want you to come back. Well, you know what you should have done? is do that a year before, before Krauss gets in here and says, 82, 82 and 0, I don't care, you're not coming back, I hate you, and I never want to see you again. Like, I get you can claim that you said that, but what are the actual odds? Well, and, and you got to remember that Reinsdorf is gotta actually be the reason that Phil's back for the 98 season, because Krauss didn't want to bring him back, and it was Reinsdorf who flew to Montana to meet with with Phil Jackson and get a deal done. So you've already had this owner kind of going behind the GM's back here to, to get a deal for the best coach or one of the two best coaches, at least in NBA history. And so you see that Ryan sort of does it again, trying to kind of go behind his back and, and bring Phil back and kind of bring everyone. And, and Phil kind of says, all right, this, this isn't fair. I'm not doing this again. I want to take a break. And I think he was ready for a break. He took a break, and then he ended up coaching again with the Lakers, and he had actually another three-peat. He's the king of three-peats. But uh, just a weird, weird situation, and we never really – I mean, we get a little bit of closure here where, you, again, we see uh, the director of the documentary showing Michael Jordan the video of, of Jerry Reinsdorf talking about why maybe it didn't make sense to do it, where – yeah. Which I, I didn't – I'm going to interrupt you, Ricky. I didn't appreciate this moment or these types of moments until the very end here where I'm actually getting a raw reaction from Michael Jordan seeing this for the first time. He's learning something from Reinsdorf right now on this iPad, and we all get to it's see amazing. what his initial reaction kind of the, the, the glitter in his That's eyes amazing. where he's like, oh, you have, you have Reinsdorf talking about why – we didn't get brought back. All right. I would love, I would love to hear this because we've never discussed why this wouldn't happen. And so Reinsdorf goes into, well, you know, the, everyone's a, a year older and, and have performed well. So they're going to demand more money. And basically says, well, it doesn't make sense for us to pay Scotty Pippen and Kukoc and Dennis Rodman and Steve Kerr and Michael Jordan and, you know, Scott Burrell, all these guys that we could, we have under contract for you know a decent price right now, but we could we couldn't bring everyone back, which to me rings a little bit hollow. Where you could say, all right, well, let's at least bring. You don't need to bring everybody back, but you bring Jordan and Pippen back, and whoever else you have under contract, you bring Phil Jackson back, and you pick up a few you know free agents, and you re you retool is not necessarily a rebuild. And then for him to say, you know, I had I had faith in Jerry Krause that you know, he would be able to, in a few years, rebuild us into con- into contenders. Well, you got to remember, like, Michael Jordan's 30, I think he's 35 in this at this time. So he, Jordan doesn't want to stick around and go through a rebuilding mm-hmm. process. And Phil Jackson, you know, he doesn't want to stick around and go through a rebuilding process. But you could bring Pippen, Scott, and, and Michael Jordan back and, and uh, maybe, you know, replace Dennis Rodman, who is – you know, maybe you don't want him on the team. Let him go uh, be a, a be a wrestler. But you, they, you know, the, you're gonna have people that want to play on that team, and uh, just seems like they could have uh, 
if if there was any desire to keep the team together, they would have been able to do it. The one thing was right. that Jordan says was, you know, Pippen would be the hard one, but he could have convinced them. Here's my thing, Reinsdorf. You don't get to say this. You don't get to assume the decisions that were going to be made by these players. I think you're right. I think you would have had to overpay for a lot of these players. And without them taking pay cuts and figuring it out, they wouldn't have all been able to play together based on realistic salaries. I understand that. You can still ask. It's your job as a GM to ask them, guys, do you want to come back? Because if you do, here's what it has to look like. He never did that. And that drives me nuts when GMs don't do that because you should at least ask. If you think you actually believe that that team can win again, and I don't know why you wouldn't because they just won and beat a better Jazz team than they did in 97, then why wouldn't you ask? Do you guys want to come back? Here's what it has to look like. You're, Jordan, you're not making your full salary. Are you guys cool if we overpay Pippen? Whatever it is, figure it out. If the guys are willing to do that, that's fine. It's on them. But it sounds to me, well, based it. on what Jordan, Jordan said, they all want to come back. $30 million dollars a year. You know, if he, maybe they say, all right, well, we'll bring you back, but let's take, you know, let's pay you 25 and we'll take, you know, 10, 10 million of that. And we'll bring back Pippen or we'll bring in another free agent. Uh, there's just so many ways that this could have happened. And instead they, they blow it all up and it's they true. trade a bunch of these players and let Phil Jackson go. And the Chicago Bulls have made it to zero NBA championship since then. And I believe Zero Eastern Conference Finals. Ah, uh, Jerry Krauss. Maybe Michael Jordan was your secret weapon. We'll never actually know. So, rounding this out, Michael Jordan says the sixth was his best. He believes that he was at his peak, which I think is insane, but he is performing unbelievable. We're not, we're not going to deny him that. But there's a moment here near to the end where it talks about how Phil Jackson brought the team together and asked them to write their feelings about the team and each other and this journey on a piece of paper. And this reminds me of my youth group days when I used to write my regrets down on a piece of paper, put it in a bucket, and they would burn it and it would be gone. And it was therapeutic. It actually felt like a weight was lifted off your shoulders. So in this moment, when I heard this, I thought, Phil Jackson, you shrewd dog. But – I would have loved to be a fly on the wall in that room just to hear these guys open up. But this whole story ends with everyone bringing these pieces of paper to the team and, and sharing their stories. But what caught everyone off guard was Michael Jordan. Apparently, this bully wrote a poem and shared his heart. And Ricky, well, I, I, I did some is, deep, deep research on what it. did that poem and, say? And I, I did actually find a copy of the uh, of the poem, and I did. I did, and if there's any kids listening you out did there, it. this is this is uh, a little. There are some bad words in this, and we've done our best to to keep this, you know, PG throughout these ten episodes. But I think I think in order to uh, we did a honor pretty good job Michael by the Jordan way, and his six championships, uh, we need to read this verbatim. This is a this is a quote. This is sure, a quote yeah. I found, and this is a quote again. If it's from him, and everything's right on the internet. So this is a poem entitled "The Last Dance." The '98 Bulls. Jerry didn't want us around. We thought we lost Rodman, but then he was found. Scott Burrell has talent, but as young as a pup. Scotty waited on surgery. Didn't want to fuck his summer up. Reggie and the Pacers gave us all kinds of fits. At least this year, the pizza didn't give me the shits. To game six, we went in the heart of Utah. I stroked the game winner. The whole world did saw. But Jerry says no more. The salary's too high. So to fans all the new, I say a final goodbye. That was that was Michael Jordan. That was Michael Jordan, the poet, for all of you out there. Let's just let's just take a moment and let that sink in. So to fans old and new, I say a final goodbye. And Ricky, this is a goodbye from us, episode ten on this podcast. I do, uh, as just, always, I just want to say thank you to, to you, Greg, for uh, taking the time out of your life and uh, doing this podcast with me. It's been a lot of fun. Uh, something I 
haven't really done and uh, i learned a ton well, from I'm you glad, i'm glad to hear it an and absolute I, i'm ton. just excited we you know there's word now uh hockey's going to start up in august sounds like nba might start july 25th is the date i'm hearing uh we have some golf back we have nascar back we have some german soccer back so they i think there's light at the end of this covid19 tunnel um so hopefully this is uh this has helped i know this has helped you and i get through this time and hopefully it's helped a few other people that are listening to this uh, get through this absolutely insane time in the world Well said, Ricky. I'll tell you this. It only takes one match Michael to start Jordan. the fire, and the fire starts with hope. Michael Jordan. Till next time, Ricky Tiefenbach. Thank you for doing this. Oh, I had a blast. I'm, you know I'm, I'm in. to the Tom Brady one in 2021. See you, Greg. See you then.